72% of entrepreneurs are struggling with mental health. Most don't ask for help. Today is the day we change that. Today is the day we prioritize and destigmatize mental health. We are entrepreneurs, visionaries, high achievers, change makers. We defy the odds every single day. We dream the biggest dreams. We fail and fall flat on our faces. We get up and try harder. We believe in our ideas even when everyone around us doubts them. We are driven to find the solutions to the world's biggest problems. We speak because our voice matters. We show up because we make a difference. We share our most vulnerable stories because we know someone can finally find the courage to share theirs. And in our collective sharing, we rise, we heal, and we embody brave visibility. Hey guys, so in this episode, we sat down with Mastin Kip, who is the creator of Functional Life Coaching, and we dove really deep into working on emotional trauma and why it's the best hack to help you grow your business and just really improve your life in all aspects. The signs to look out for in terms of like, how do you know if you have emotional trauma? and seeking the root cause in order to truly process and heal from all of this trauma. We dove really deep into those first steps that you can take when you realize that you may be needing the support with your mental and emotional health. We spoke about how you, maybe someone who has experienced generational trauma, can become what is called a transitional character. And we spoke about the importance of finding a therapist who practices attachment-informed therapy so that you can have the best results with your therapist. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Brave Visibility. We are super excited. Kimra and I are joined by an amazing guest, Mastin Kip. Mastin, thank you so much for being here. Hey, you too. I'm so happy to be here and excited that you guys are doing a podcast like this and we're talking about mental health and entrepreneurship. It's so needed. So well done. Yes. This is awesome. Yes. Thank you. Now, you guys, um, if you don't know Mastin Kip, you know, in case you were hiding under a rock or something, he is an American entrepreneur, best-selling author, and re renowned public speaker. He is the creator of Functional Life Coaching, an innovative, unique, and accelerated approach to creating lasting personal and business change. He's the author of two best-selling books, Daily Love and Claim Your Power. And he's been on outlets like, you know, Huffington Post and appeared on Fox News, ABC, CBS News, and Oprah. So that's like an amazing intro, I think. Um, <laughs> and I think it's just a little, you know, scraping uh just scratching the surface really of what you offer. So Mastin, we absolutely adore what you do and what you stand for. And it is so needed in the world. Can you just kind of fill in the blanks here and tell us like how you started on this journey, like of this oh, functional man. life coaching? Yes. And I want to, I want to say, I always like to start with one thing first, which is we're, we'll be talking about emotional trauma and mental health. And so like that's scary for people who don't understand it. And just kind of like talking about cancer, like there's a lot of fear around the word trauma. So I just want to preface it by saying um, most people don't know, really know what it is. And when you do your emotional trauma work, that's when your relationships thrive. And when your relationships thrive, that's when your business thrives, your finances thrive, your, your health and wellness thrive. So it's like the best hack for, you know, making more money, getting the love, losing the weight, being healthy. So it's all good and there's nothing to fear. And if you've done a lot of work and it's not quite clicking, this is the type of conversation that will help you move forward. So I just want to preface it with that. Um, in terms of why I got into this, you know, I, uh, I feel like I want to define trauma, emotional trauma first, just so that there's some understanding. Emotional trauma is a disconnection from safety, emotionally or physically. And um, it can happen in really um, acute ways. So we talk about abuse. Um, we look at the Me Too movement. We look at uh, mass incarceration, all, you know, like kids being separated at the border. All of those things are like really obvious, acute trauma, emotional, and physical and emotional. And um, what's, what's, what's misunderstood about emotional trauma, and this is so present during the Kavanaugh, Dr. Ford process, mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. most uh, of America believes and the world believes 
they're not trauma informed. They believe that trauma is not trauma unless it results in a physical injury. But when you look at the work of John Bowlby and attachment theory, what we're starting to learn is that when you have emotional separation, emotional isolation, intentional or unintentional, that is perhaps some of the most traumatizing experiences we can go through. So for me, both my parents never hurt me. They were well-intended. I grew up in an upper-middle-class family. My dad was in Vietnam War. He has PTSD. He was a, uh, uh, a medic on a, on a helicopter, saw some of the worst things you can see in Vietnam for three years being in proximity, which is a lot longer than normal tours of duty. My mom had emotional and physical abuse growing up and had a broken back. And so I was born into this environment where all the focus was on her. And unintentionally, I was experiencing emotional isolation because all the focus was on her. I was not able to be touched. I was not able to be held as much as you're supposed to do for a child. So I experienced uh, what's called emotional isolation uh, or emotional neglect, which is sort of a little too dramatic. But that separation, when you have that separation emotionally, that's traumatizing. When there's a disconnection from safety is what uh, emotional trauma is all about. And then you start to look at how we cope for that. And that's what's all these mental health problems are is basically just coping with different versions of that, which we can get into. So for me, you know, I was growing up in a, in a household where I was focused on helping my mom from birth, you know, like babies can intuit the environment they're being born into. It was very obvious for me from birth that like this person I love and needs help. And so my whole life was dedicated to helping her. And then you wonder why 97% of our clients are female. I just kind of continued that process. Like I was kind of born to do this work in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, in, in, you know, becoming a, you know, doing this coaching work, you know, I had a blog called the daily love for many years. We got to like 7 million readers in our peak. And wow. in the, in the peak of that, after like Oprah had endorsed it, after like all the thought leaders were on it, we had a half a million people on our email list. I thought like, this sucks. Like I'm not fulfilled by this anymore. And I was getting jealous of my friends, you know, Gabby and Brendan and Lewis and everybody. And I thought to myself, why am I jealous? And it's because they were doing this coaching work and I wasn't. And that was me not bringing that part of myself forward. But then I had to go on like a, gosh, a four-year journey, five-year journey to figure out who am I and what am I going to do that's going to be different than everybody else. And I started getting comparisons to Tony Robbins and, and that's cool and awesome, but it was not, I don't want to be the next Tony. I want to be the first Mastin. And, and the more I kind of focused on product differentiation and my own personal development, it became very obvious that the missing piece is the emotional trauma work. Mm -hmm. And that's like really the root cause of almost all the problems we're having in the world today. It explains a lot of things, doesn't excuse them. And uh, we can get into that. And so now I've been the last like three years trying to figure out uh, how the heck you bring something like that to market because like, that's like confusing and the market doesn't understand. And is the market ready for this? And so it's, it's been this like crazy leap of faith to kind of figure out like how to turn that into like a business. And trust me, like there's so many easier ways to make money than doing this work, you know? So it's, this is not a, I did not start this company to make money. Um, I love making money, but I don't love it as much as I love, you know, doing my work, my girl relationships and integrity and stuff like that. But, um, this work is needed. And so that's why I'm doing it. And, um, it's been interesting the last couple of years, uh, the market has really become aware of the need for this type of work. And it's exciting to kind of see uh, things, you know, this conversation being embraced and like what you guys are doing, you know, it's like huge. So, um, so it's, it's, it's awesome to kind of see that like, Hey, yeah. Entrepreneurs, practitioners in the world are ready to have a conversation about trauma. Yeah. And I think all like everything you're doing is so incredible because yes, right now there is a big need for it, you know? And when you see all these people, they're like, joking like oh so and so is triggered it's like that's actually a real thing like being triggered is an actual real thing it doesn't just mean like you're like oh all of a sudden angry because someone doesn't doesn't agree with you there are actual things that are actually triggering people but how do we you know work through that especially like um, I know for myself like my kids are being raised with social media and they're seeing things that normally they wouldn't be seeing. And then they're seeing people get in arguments online and all these things. And I feel like off, most of the time, those big arguments is because one of those people in that argument had experienced some sort of emotional trauma around whatever that topic is. And so I feel like the online space when everyone or just the internet in general, when anybody is having conversations, there's always the one person that you're just like, man, that person needs therapy, <laughs> you know, or like, you know, like they need to work on something. And um, so, yeah, so I think it's finally because the internet that's been happening for so many years, 
I think now finally is when people are just like, okay, this is why we're having, you know, these, this tough time online, you know, and mm. you think, you know, the online isn't, online isn't a peaceful place, you know, and it's because of, of all of this stuff. So, so it's very interesting, but I'm glad that everyone is, is starting to kindly finally see like we, we need help with this. And I think a big part of it too, is there's just a lot of um, stigmas around, you know, getting the type of therapy you need, getting the help you need. Um, even, even, or even just the fact that insurance doesn't cover a lot of this sort of stuff, yeah. you know, like um, because um, we were speaking yesterday um, with a, with a person we interviewed Shantae and she was talking about, you know, some people need to have, you know, a, a neuro, um, psych, a psychologist. And I was like, well, that's not covered by insurance, you know? So that's like, <laughs> someone's got to pay out of pocket just to figure out why they're having memory problems. And so, um, so yeah, so it's yeah. really interesting that, you know, now it's starting to come up and I'm really hoping that this will be accessible to people. You know, that's one of the, my, my, I guess, concerns is that, you know, that this sort of work can be accessible because when I first started my healing journey, I didn't have the money to do it. I just had to like read books and like listen to podcasts and kind mm -hmm. of like therapy on myself, you know, like yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the resources. So, um, so anyway, so I wanted to talk a little bit cause I know you were it's talking true. about the coping, the coping stuff. And that seems yeah. to be what everyone's living in. We're living in a world where all we're doing is just coping from day to day. <laughs> um, so what are those signs of those things where you're just coping? Cause I think maybe some mm. people listening might not even know they have, um, emotional trauma or, or something they need to work through. So what are those signs of that? What are, yeah. how are people behaving? And you're like, those are kind of clues that they need to do some work. Yeah. So, uh, that's a really great, and everything you just said spot on and you know, our, our medical systems, well, at least in America, uh, it, we're, our system is designed with an infectious illness mindset and the problem is we have chronic illness, right? So like you can't cure diabetes or multiple sclerosis the same way you would cure the plague by just giving somebody a pill and annihilating all the bugs, right? Like it's a different type of problem. And, um, you know, the, the medical institutions make money on people being almost healthy, but not healthy, right? And so uh, we can get deeply into that if you want, uh, because there's <laughs> a lot to share there in terms of educating people on what's, you know, trauma denial is a real thing. So um, in terms of your question, though, I think that um, how do you know you have trauma? If you're experiencing stress or anxiety, uh, if you're experiencing depression, um, if you're experiencing uh, drama or, um, you know, a hard time in relationships, if you have any type of either like uh, intense anger outbursts or any type of suicidal ideation, um, but low level anxiety, uh, certainly there. If you're obviously, you know, if you have trauma flashbacks, if you're having panic attacks, which I call wake up calls in your body. Um, if you have, uh, you know, a hard time following through, if you're procrastinating, if you have a hard time achieving your goals, um, if you don't have equanimity in your relationships, if you don't know how to get support in relationships and it feels like you're always giving, um, there are so many different things that um, are sort of symptoms, if you will, of underlying uh, emotional trauma. And um, so basically, I just talked about every human being, yeah. <laughs> essentially. And so we all have it in different ways. And so... Um, the first thing to know is that like, you know, there, there's like high level coping and then there's like low level coping. So like low level coping is when you're doing drugs. And, you know, when I was like snorting cocaine up my nose and snorting Adderall up my nose, like that's low level coping, right? That's not something that's going to be sustainable. High level coping is when you got your green juice, you got your Lululemon, you got your mantra and you're trying to like choose a different thought, but it won't go away. And you're trying to like deny it. And that's kind of where we are right now. I think the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of the spiritual practices or um, you know, just emotional regulation tools, whether it's meditation, uh, you know, a lot of attraction stuff has become very po uh, popular. Uh, all the mindfulness stuff, like those things are better, right? Biohacking, better. Um, you know, bu putting uh, butter in your coffee, better than cocaine, right? It's better. Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And until we look at the wounding, it is just more coping. And it's kind of like a pressure cooker where mm -hmm. if you deny, 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 then the pressure just kind of builds up and eventually you kind of have this, you know, explosion and you kind of take the top off and maybe you go away for a weekend retreat or something and you feel better, but you put the top back on because you're not looking at the root cause of like, why is that there in the first place? And it builds up again and you have these cycles. And mm -hmm. so what we have to do is we have to look at like, what are the symptoms? And then what's, what's the root cause? And that's a really important question. When you figure out what the root cause is, um, 
then you know what action to take to be able to help heal that process. Mm -hmm. And it's a brand new mindset. You know, most therapists aren't trauma informed. Most therapists in their certifications get judged on and approved their license with how many hours of therapy they do on other people, not their own healing work. And, you know, we can only take people as far as we've gone. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also the insurance and there's so many different things. So, you know, therapists, I'm not against it, but they get paid based on sometimes a diagnosis they give to the DSM, which is not accurate, you know? Um, so there's a lot that's like, how should I say, there's a lot that needs to be improved or disrupted with the way that we view mental health. You talked about the stigma. That's one reason why I make a lot of jokes about it on my social media, because the way that I like to destigmatize it is to just not talk about the stigma and make fun and have fun and not mock, but just bring levity to the conversation to realize mm -hmm. we all have it. And especially as entrepreneurs, because one of the main sort of propagators or instigators of the symptoms getting worse is isolation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, be on your phone, and liking stuff on Instagram is not connection, mm -hmm. right? You're co-regulating with your phone, not other human beings. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, the, the goal is more and more connection. And um, we can talk about that. But, you know, entrepreneurs are people who are typically the ones who are in charge. And they're the ones who, when they were younger, someone wasn't there for them. And so now they're going to be there. They're going to be in control. They're going to be in charge. And, uh, and that's awesome sometimes for driving a business. And sometimes it shuts people out of your life and you lose all connection. And that's why, you know, entrepreneurial suicide so high, a dear friend of mine, 2013 took his life, a mentor of mine. It's a real personal topic for me. Wow. And it's that isolation that, uh, that really drives it. And so, you know, the social media world and the, the way that we're doing things now is just, it's not helping our mental health for sure. Mm, it's hindering it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. This is just so powerful. So powerful. Can you go a little deep into this whole functional life coaching? I, I believe like, did you coin that term? Is that something yes. that yeah. like, how, how did it come about for you and what does it really do? Like, I, I, yeah. I'm really curious to know about it. Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, still figuring it out, but I've got a pretty good idea. Um, cause it's new, right? So, um, yeah. So the term came about in 2015 or 16. I was at a mastermind. I was sitting next to a gentleman named Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who's the father of functional medicine. I was literally sitting right next to him. He's like Mark Hyman's mentor. He's like oh, yeah. this amazing guy. And he started talking about like what functional medicine was and the mindset. And I was like, I do that for like the brain and the body and like emotions. Like what do you, so I was like functional medicine, functional coaching, there were functional life. Okay, there we go. That's kind of how it emerged. I and it. basically, the, I've been doing this work for 10 years, not knowing what it was. I had never got into understanding the work of the trauma greats like Peter Levine or Besser Vandelkolk or Stephen Porges. I didn't know about that stuff until like the last, gosh, 18 months because I started mm -hmm. really wanting to know the space. And so I've been doing my own stuff like at retreats and seminars and coaching and stuff like that for 10 years. I have over 10,000 hours plus of working with people on this stuff. And what I basically found out was through my own sort of naivete and ignorance was people would set a goal. They wouldn't meet it usually. Could you imagine what would happen if all of our clients just set a goal and did it? Like we had the best businesses in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept asking, why? Why are you not doing this? And, oh, because my son or my daughter or my dad or calendar, whatever, right? Uh, the internet, the tech problems, right? And, uh, and, then it's, and then we go, why, 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 why? And what I basically figured out after asking why enough was everybody's been through something painful that that experience is informing them that if they go any further, they're not safe. Mm. And so I was like, what is that? That's like a pain or that's like a, what's that called? And I was, I was like, maybe is that trauma? So I kind of like looked at, oh, that's called trauma. So then I started talking about that and it really resonated with people. And we started addressing people's stuff. And we had clients that would go from like almost food stamps to like a couple months later, $50,000 in a month just by addressing this stuff that was holding them back that they didn't know was holding them back. And so there were so many different modalities that I started working with clients on, just kind of working with people in this evidence-based way. And so now what functional coaching is, is we basically look at like, where are you stuck? Mm -hmm. And what's the root cause experience and relationship assumptions that you made based on whatever happened to you? Because mm -hmm. emotional trauma isn't just what happened. The most traumatizing thing is what happens after what happened. Meaning, was it stuffed under the rug? Were you not believed? 
Uh, did you have to hold it in isolation? Did people shun you or shame you? Or were you embraced? Were you loved? Was there empathetic uh, and non-judgmental witness after something happened? So what happened afterwards is uh, sometimes more important than what actually happened. But we look at those relational dynamics and then all of a sudden you don't have a limiting belief. That's nonsense. You have a survival pattern. I'm trying to survive because my limiting, my limiting belief was actually something that kept me safe for a long time. And so I started really like, in a way, not throwing out the personal development stuff, but recontextualizing it to realize, you know, personal development, even though like, yeah, that stuff is true. Mm. Personal development is doing the same thing that the mental health community is doing, which is they're pathologizing a response that makes a lot of sense if you look at somebody's history. And so maybe somebody doesn't want to go live on, how hard is it to go live on Facebook? It's not that hard, but how many people are terrified of that? So many, and mostly women, right? Why? Most women, when they grow up, got a signal that visibility equals lack of safety, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's not misogynistic to say, that's just what the environment says, right? I mean, women used to be burned at the stake for using their voices. That was not that long ago. So, you know, like when you contextualize it in that way, and then you start to help your clients understand something like, hey, by the way, uh, every time you speak up and use your voice, you're doing something your mother could never do, or your grandmother could never do, right? Or your great-great-grandmother was killed for. It gives it a different context. And so what we do is we look at your history. We look at your relationship, uh, sort of expectations, what behavior was safe and not safe and why. And then we help you design a forward motion plan that helps you essentially exhaust that pattern so that eventually you start to feel safe doing things that didn't feel safe before. Um, and I don't mean like uh, walking down the alleyway and seeing a guy with a gun. I mean like going live on Facebook, asking your partner, hey, could you help me here? Things like that, that you never had, uh, so many people never felt safe doing. And then we get those neural exercises going. And then when you have, you know, trying to reframe something or the law of attraction or mindfulness, it like supercharges it because you're not in resistance anymore. Because mm. if you try to fight your nervous system, you will lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The goal and is to make your nervous system your ally. Yeah. And I love that you're talking so much about really finding those root causes. I started working with a few um, different coaches, more working through like finding out like my own history. I literally took DNA tests to find out my own history. I, wow. don't, I still don't know who my father is even after taking DNA tests. I still haven't been able to connect with that. But I have been able to connect with my mother's side of the family. And, you know, after hearing from one of my cousins who found me on one of those DNA sites, you know, and she started telling me about all these generations of trauma. And she was one of the ones who actually escaped kind of like I did. Wow. Like, she was like, I got out of it. You know, she's like, I moved away from everyone. I got away from everyone. I was like, that's like me, you know? So I actually have a cousin who did the same thing that I did to like escape, like what was happening yeah. to, to work on our healing, to, to, to live a better life. And for myself, um, actually in the email that I had sent out, I had talked about how sometimes I forget how much progress I've actually made. Um, mm-hmm. because my goal especially when I had my first son was like, I don't want to beat my children and I don't want to harm them and say horrible things to them. And, and I am the first generation that has stopped that. Yeah. Um, But that to me means I still have tons, tons, tons more work to do because it's still in us. It's like in ourselves. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting, but I love that you're talking so much about finding the root cause because I do feel with personal development, everything is very surface level. You know, I spent a lot of years reading like every personal development book there was and listening to all the podcasts and going to all the conferences and, and all those things. And, and none of it had anything to do with the root. None of it. I'm so grateful that you're doing this where it is. The focus is the root cause so that people can genuinely heal and get and be able to do the things they want to do whether it's with their business with their life with their relationships it's really 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 incredible so thank you so much for the work you're doing just say that very welcome and i I want to say something because what you said is not small it's so significant it's such a big deal so let's contextualize what you just said okay Mm -hmm. um because i'm thinking about someone who has been through something hard and maybe even has generational stuff but they're not at that place where they're changing their behavior right mm-hmm. yet because they don't know how so so you have uh, in your uh, family history generational trauma 
and abuse. And your story, the stories that you've shared are so heartfelt. Like when you've talked about what you've been through, Kimra, like it's so awesome to just see you own it and have it not be a big deal and to let other people feel safe to do that. Like that's a power that I could never have because I don't have that in my history. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is the exact thing that needs to happen today for leaders to step up and to make it safe for others to do the same because that way you come out of shame, right? It's a really big yeah. deal. But to then say, oh, I'm not going to pass it on. So what you've decided, there's a term for that, which I want to sort of shout from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave a talk, a TED talk, which should be out sometime soon um, at Wake Forest University about like, why are we in the way we are today? Why is there Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter? Why is there Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford? Like what's going on? And I'm going to explain without excusing certain behaviors because understanding that trauma is the problem is not excusing the behavior. Okay. Mm. Not okay. It should be illegal. Certain values that should be extinct from the earth. Um, And to change something, you have to understand it. Mm. What's happening right now is we have an opportunity to become what's called a transitional character. A transitional character is somebody who in one generation reverses all of the generational trauma that a family lineage has experienced. Wow. And, and that is so hard to do. And mm-hmm. that's what you just said you did, Kimra. And I just want to like give you a shout out because like oh, it's so hard mm-hmm. to first of all, just be, go from like being victimized to saying I'm a survivor. That's mm-hmm. so hard. That's a, that journey right there is heroic. And it's something that I can't imagine the type of persistence and courage it takes for someone to go through that process to actually share their story. But then to go from a survivor to a transitional character, there's, that's even more rare because it's when you start to share your story, you can feel so safe in that and you can start to get a lot of praise and connection, which you never had before. And mm. what you see is a lot of people that get stuck in survivor, but mm. a transitional character says, the trauma happened. It's not who I am. I'm more, I'm a soul. I'm free. And that's not who I am. It's what happened to me. And that's a very huge leap mm, for somebody yeah. to take. It's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, I have clients that you know, they've been in therapy for 30 years and they're almost ready to do that. Right. They're almost ready, but like letting go of that identity is so hard and it can only happen in like your time. It can't happen in somebody else's time. That's why like you tell a survivor to forgive somebody that might be too soon, right? That you can only do that at the right time. Um, is forgiveness the right thing to do when you're ready, but not before. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that because it's super big deal what you just said. And it's something that like, <clears throat> you know, one of my goals is to really spread the idea of the transitional character and help people go, Oh my God, there's more, you know, mm-hmm. without it being a denial of the trauma, without it being a denial of the pain or the denial of the journey to say, Hey, there's another level. And that's how mm-hmm. we stop the cycle for children and for future generations. So I just total badass. You're badass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Count it through the <laughs> count it through the computer. <laughs> Love it. And you know, I I never really expected that of myself. Like I I do remember just like being a teenager and literally writing inside because they had that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. Yeah, And it had like your priorities in life, right? So one of my priorities was to help women. And then my other priority was to be nothing like my family. Yeah. Those were my two top two priorities. Everyone else was probably like, oh, get into college or get that golf scholarship or whatever, you know? (laughs) And like me, I'm just like, just don't be like my family and I'll turn out okay. (laughs) You know, like, because that was, that was all I had. And I think there's a lot of people listening where they may have experienced that trauma, whether it was, you know, as a child or even as an adult, and they don't know how to, you know, stop yelling and screaming at their kids. They don't know how to stop hitting their children. And mm. um, for myself, it, it was difficult because I remember when I was pregnant with my first son, people would say, oh, follow your instinct. I'm like, my instinct is to harm. Mm. And that's the reality of it. And I know a lot of mothers would not want to say that out loud, but that is the reality. And I had to relearn my instincts and I had to consciously do it. And there isn't, you know, books, parenting books that are like, you know, like, Oh, how to parent when you have PTSD. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like, like there's all, I would see these articles online that say, Oh, 10 tips, how to stop yelling at your kids. I was like, that does not work. If you are a traumatized person, (laughs) like it doesn't work. And so I, I really hope that, you know, for, for my kids and their generation, I'm really hoping like 
it people are becoming more conscious about this and that's why your work is so important Mastin is so that people are becoming more conscious like we need to heal these traumas to mm-hmm. be the best parents that we can be so that the next generations aren't going to have to deal with so much of this totally. trauma totally. you know it's absolutely really incredible um so one question that I wanted to ask you, and I know we were talking a little bit just about, you know, like, you know, these are the signs that you have something to work through. Like, like, what would the first steps be for a person who is now sitting here listening and they're just like, oh, crap, I have some stuff I need to work on because maybe they didn't even know they did. Um, yeah. You know, what would kind of those first steps look like for someone? Yeah. So a um, couple things. One, if you're on medication, don't go off it unless it's medically supervised. Okay. Um, first and foremost, so important. Okay. Yeah. I'll just like go cold turkey off stuff. Um, and, um, I always like to kind of, uh, look at a couple things. One is like, what's the, if I could like really make it simple, what's one behavior I want to change and watch how fast we can figure out like what happens. So I'll give you an example. Let's just say that, uh, it's a Friday night and a woman's coming home at seven o'clock and she's like, you know, I want to change the fact that I drink wine at seven, like too much wine at seven o'clock. Okay. So the behavior is, too much wine. Now, if you look at like most sort of personal development, they'll say, well, just take contrary action. Don't drink wine. Willpower. Right. And, and that doesn't really work. Um, ben Hardy's work on that is pretty clear. Willpower doesn't work is the book. Um, I like books that just have a title like that. Like, cool. I don't need to read it. Thanks, Ben. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but basically you look at like, okay, well, what's the story? So underneath the behavior is the story I'm telling myself. And so it might be, I deserve it right? I, I deserve it. It's been a long week. Okay. Well, what's underneath the story is an emotion. Okay. Well, what emotion are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling stressed and alone. Okay, great. Well, underneath the emotion is a, a belief or a neural expectancy of like, you know, forming your context of the world. What belief do you have about life that, uh, you know, is forming that emotion of stress or alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's going to support me. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And then, okay, where'd you learn that? And usually it's my mom or dad wasn't there or something like that. Right. And you know, there's something in the past that's, that's, uh, that's done that, that where someone wasn't there for me. And so I kind of pick up that belief. It's unconscious. It produces stress and isolation emotions, which produces a story of I deserve it, which produces the behavior. So like, that's how fast you can find it. And that's what the claim your power book is really all about is, Hey, you know, I spent 10,000 plus hours trying to create this format and framework. And usually it costs like, you know, 7,500 to 15,000 to like come to a retreat somewhere in the world to do that with me. And I want to spread this to everybody else. So if you can't do that, this is the first step is to be able to do that. I also highly recommend that, you know, the Claim Your Power book, speaking of wine, it pairs well, okay. <laughs> it pairs well with attachment informed therapy. So if you have a therapist who knows about attachment theory, highly recommend that you work with a therapist who understands attachment theory. Um, it pairs well with modalities like somatic experiencing, uh, neurofeedback, uh, EMDR is a great modality as well. Now, the thing about somatic experiencing, EMDR, and neurofeedback, which are all amazing, or attachment uh, therapy, they're all amazing modalities. What the Claim Your Power process does is it helps you understand what happened to you very efficiently so you don't have to go to therapy for 10 years to find the answer. You can do it very quickly. That's why it pairs well. We've been approached by rehab centers and different addiction centers to be able to bring that work into the rehab center because they're starting to realize that trauma and addiction are completely related. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think it's about getting the tools that you need. The Claim Your Power book is, you know, what, $17 or something on Amazon. Um, you know, getting some attachment therapy, uh, getting some neurofeedback, some EMDR, things like that. And there are more and more therapists who are doing this. But the other thing you got to realize is, is that mental health is the wrong term. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong term. Because mental, the, the brain is the effect of the body. There's so many important yeah. processes that happen in the brain, but there's 10 times more data that comes from the body to the brain than mm-hmm. the brain to the body. So when you look at why is my brain not working, it's why is my body not helping my brain work should be the real mm. answer. So it's the body workers. It's the body workers who are going to help solve the mental health issue. It's not mental health professionals because they're looking at the wrong damn organ. Okay. So why does the limbic system have a response? Because the affect, the data coming from the body to the brain is triggering the limbic system like that unconsciously through the vagus nerve. Well, we got to downregulate the vagus nerve. Well, how do you do that? Body work, right? Mm. Breathing. Kundalini yoga, um, some of the data out of polyvagal theory and Dr. Stephen Porges shows that like some of the best ways to downregulate your nervous system, slow exhales, mm. humming, chanting, things like this, using the voice, which by the way, a lot of, especially women have a hard time, they get stuck right here 
using their voice. Using the voice is a great way to regulate the nervous system. Being in safe relationships where people can support you and you can share what you're going through. Being in supportive environments because if you know you can have the best mindset in the world, but if your environment tells you that you're a piece of shit, you're going to believe that, right? No matter what you're trying to say with a mantra. So mm-hmm. it really is a lifestyle shift and change. But I think that you know getting into some body work. I love John Barnes' myofascial release. I think that's a great modality. It's a very specific type of MFR that I recommend. I think acupuncture is amazing. But when you pair it with a claim your power process some type of attachment or trauma-informed therapist, you know, coming to one of our seminars, like we, everything we do is trauma-informed, whether it's entrepreneurial stuff and business trainings or not, all those things. But it's, the, it's also the co-regulation, which mm-hmm. is relationship, right? So Jesus says, where two or three gathered, there I am in their midst. And neuroscience says that you can't self-regulate your emotions unless you have a co-regulation ability to be with other people and feel safe. So if I don't feel safe with others, I'm not going to feel safe by myself, no matter how much self-love I have. And so whether it's Christianity or neuroscience, you got to have safe relationships. Um, And that is just so important because the majority of the trauma we experience is relational trauma. Someone did something to us that was close to us and we get a lot of mixed messages. And I think one of the most traumatizing things that can happen is the person who's supposed to be your source of safety is also a source of danger, right? Like that's, that's a very confusing message, right? So you have to work that out, but the only way to work it out is in relationship. You can't work it out otherwise. Because you can't do it on your own. That's what, that's the big misnomer is people think, oh, now I know what happened to me. That's my trauma work. It's like, no, healing it in the next relationship. That's the trauma work, not hitting your child. That's the trauma work. And it's experiential. It's not theoretical. So it's a, it's a lifestyle change. And um, I don't, you know, hopefully people aren't feeling like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed, but just get in a book, get into a therapist that knows the attachment theory. Great first step doing some body work, slow exhales, a Kundalini yoga class, um, things like that are just so powerful because it's, it's usually, it's the, it's the quality of the relationship that's healing for us. Mm. I love that you mentioned the body work and I'm just thinking about like recently I was in Thailand and I got like Thai massage like twice a week because it's so good and so ridiculously cheap. And, um, and I remember like during one of the sessions, I literally like, I almost cried and I'm someone who can take pain pretty well. Like I delivered three kids with midwives and no epidurals or nothing. Like I can, I can handle pain. But when the woman was just like, like using her body, like literally like they come on top of you and they walk on you with their knees or their use their arms. And I was like tearing up and then I spoke to my therapist and then I was telling her about this. She was like, well, trauma does get trapped in your body. That's right. So, and she asked me where I was feeling the hurt the most. And, and that was really an eye opener for me. So, and now here you are kind of saying the same thing, like the body work, the healing work is it's powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, like the work is here down. Yeah. <laughs> It's here down. Yeah. It's the neck down, right? So if you're, yeah. if you're hearing the audio only, it's neck down. That's where the trauma is stored. There, mm-hmm. Sure, there's stuff stored up here, but like 10 times more data comes up from the body than down from the brain. If you do that work, it's a game changer. I think the person who literally wrote the book on this, again, thanks for the title, Bessel. Uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And the title, you're like, got it, right? Like you can read the book, but like that title is so amazing and it's true. And the thing is, is that whether or not you remember what happened consciously, your body does. Mm -hmm. And that's where the data and that's where the information is. And so that's where we want to focus. And when you, you know, when someone comes and does like a a private coaching experience with me, the whole first day, I'm not even with them. I have like five Mm -hmm. body practitioners working on them in different modalities to get them ready to do the work. Mm -hmm. I love that. Like that's, that's the, um, that's the that's where the, the the stuff really starts to shift fast. That is powerful. I have one question that popped up, Mastin. So when we're talking about trauma, right? Like when I listen to Kimra's story, you know, I'm just in awe. And when I grew up, I grew up in a pretty healthy family, and I didn't realize that there was trauma until I actually went home, which is Istanbul, Turkey, for me. Um, I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey up until the age of 17. And then I moved to the U.S. as an international student. You know, I decided that I was going to study in the U.S. And I haven't been home extensively for 25 years. Like I would go visit for a week or two. But this summer, 
I went with my family and we were there for two months and mm. so much came out of like, oh, yeah. and I was like, am I imagining or was this something that was happening? Was this a trend when I was a kid and I somehow didn't see it? Like maybe I was just like, oh, it's okay. Like maybe I was just saying, well, that's my mom. You know, she means well and kind of forgiving and forgetting. But then these things were just coming up to the surface, like resurfacing. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm reliving all of this stuff. And it just really, it was the most traumatic experience for me. It sounds like hard, especially with your family there. Yes, exactly. Because so much came up with my kids being there, with my husband being there. And and it was just like, they were all like watching. and, And my kids don't speak Turkish, right? So there was this language barrier as well. But they were like, I remember my oldest son coming to me and he's very mature. Um, He was 17 at the time. He turned 18 this November. And he was like, mom, I don't know, but I don't think grandma knows how to love you. Like, I don't think she appreciates the kind of, like, I don't think she sees you the way I see you, mom. Like, I don't think grandma understands how much you've accomplished and how far you've come in your life. And she's treating you like you're a little kid. And I was like, you got it. You said it better than I could say it. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Like he was able to word it so beautifully and he was able to bring up like so many things that I kind of had just shoved under the rug and said, well, that's my mom. I love her. It's something that my faith teaches me, like respect your parents, honor your parents. And I still believe in that. But there was so much trauma that happened where I didn't feel loved or I didn't feel enough. And I had to like kind of prove it to her just to get her validation and maybe for her to come and hug me, which never happened. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just want to know, like, how do you deal with stuff that may Uh, come up like after 20 years or something? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, that's really hard what you just said. Um, And I'm grateful that you're able to share that because, you know, um, Absolutely. It's hard. Uh, Freud said once, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and it's kind of, you know, with Freud, it's kind of like, okay, not everyone wants to, has an Oedipus complex. You know, that's probably him projecting. I absolutely think Freud was gay for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But what's cool about Freud is John Bowlby picked up where he left off. And John Bowlby, uh, that guy, uh, wish he was still alive, but he created what's called attachment theory. And uh, when he was a child psychologist and psychiatrist in World War II, and he saw all this trauma happening to all these kids, right, during like a very traumatizing time. And what Bowlby realized is that like we, attachment is basically um, how we form emotional bonds with each other. And Mm -hmm. our first physical attachment literally is to our mother because Mm -hmm. umbilical cord, womb, all that stuff. And so what happens is the majority of, okay, now, this is not so that we can all start blaming our moms. Just be clear, <laughs> okay? Because at, at some point, your trauma does, your, your, what your parents did, there is a statute of limitations. At some point, you got to figure out, okay, but now what are you going to do about it, okay? And it helps contextualize something, okay? Yeah. I don't want people going, okay, it's your fault, ma. Like, God damn it. Right? <laughs> but, but basically, a lot of mental health issues mm-hmm. uh, and relationship issues stem from maternal emotional withdrawal. Because what happens, I'm going to do a little neuroscience, before the age of two, um, babies are not able to regulate their emotions. And here's why. The vagus nerve is what helps us regulate emotions. There's two parts of the vagus nerve. Above the diaphragm is myelinated. All that means is it controls heart rate variability. It controls facial expression. It controls tone of voice, lots of different things. And our ability to calm ourselves down is part of that myelinated vagus uh, process. So before the age of two, the uh, vagus nerve is not myelinated. So what that means is children literally cannot calm themselves down. So that's why any biochemically healthy human, especially woman, when they hear a baby cry, wants to go comfort them because they cannot self-regulate at that time. Your mother usually is the one who you're co-regulating with. And so we learn in utero and then certainly when we're born what we got to do to get that presence right? Mm. And if our mom has not done the work, then all of a sudden we kind of pick up where she left off in development, right? And so, you know, especially if you look at Turkey, you look at, you know, how old she was, what was happening in Turkey. You know, a lot of us have uh, parents or grandparents that were raised in that sort of World War I, World War II, 
uh, great mm-hmm. depression trauma, you know, there was not a lot of emotional presence. That's also the time of like Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock's message was let the baby cry. Worst thing you could do in the world because yeah. let the baby cry. They get the message. The universe won't meet my needs, which is the origin of not feeling worthy. Worthiness is, well, my needs be met, right? If yeah. we don't get the experience early on that my needs aren't going to be met, then we're not going to feel quote worthy. And so a lot of it has to do with mom. And the reason why it's mom is because the female brain is not misogynistic. It's neuroscience. The female brain is wired to pick up on nonverbal cues way better than the male brain. It's just how it is. Right. And I see this with all our clients. Most of our female clients, you know, sometimes women communicate with facial expressions, you know, and sometimes we'll hear like a a wife say to a husband, well, I've been telling you for two weeks. And he's like, what are you talking about? How'd you tell me? And she'll say like this. (laughs) <laughs> what is that? I don't know what that means. Like we don't pick up on those things the same way. Now I do because I'm highly trained at it now, but I never learned those things early on. Mm-hmm. And so, so like the, 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 the role of the woman in child raising based on neuroscience, not social norms. Okay. So it's not about mm-hmm. women's empowerment or disempowerment. It's based on neuroscience, how the female brain is wired. The female brain is wired to pick up on those nonverbal cues way more. Right. And if so, the goal in attachment theory is, you have the mother who's in close proximity to a child who's picking up on their nonverbal cues, who's helping regulate the child, especially the first few years of their life. So they can start to, you know, feel safe and know the universe is going to meet their needs and they're going to feel worthy and all those esteem issues get worked out. The way the mother can be in proximity to a child, again, based on attachment theory, not uh, social norms is typically before, you know, uh, look at how we were, you know, our history, the male was out there hunting and, and, and getting shit and bringing it home. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if he can bring a home and make the home safe, then the mother can be present. So now yeah. what happens is when we have that not happening, if there isn't uh, equanimity in the home, the mom can't be present. If the mom's not present, the child's not going to be emotionally regulated. If the child's not going to be emotionally regulated, they're going to have all kinds of coping mechanisms. They're going to come up to try to get that love. And that comes out later as you know, behaviors that we want to change. And then it comes out later when we go back home, many years later as a dog go, what the hell? Like what? Like that's not right. And so um, again, you know, women can earn, women are out earning men, venture capitalists are reporting greater return on investment from female led companies, right? So this is not against women's empowerment. It's just how human beings are wired, right? Mm -hmm. And this is also speaks to, I think, why women are a superior gender. You can read nonverbal cues so much better than men can, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there's so much to learn here in terms of, how to regulate children growing up. And if you don't, what will happen to them later? And a great example is ADHD, right? So ADHD, if you look at the neuroscience, is a lack of development in the prefrontal cortex. And that's because usually limits weren't set. You weren't able to sequence things out. Someone wasn't present. So you never got that development in the front part of the brain. So what happens over a long enough period of time is you're distractible. You're very sort of, you have a hard time with inhibition. You're very, you know, wired, like whatever, you're not down regulating yourself. And then it becomes uncomfortable for you to be around if you're a parent. The parent does not want to be around the kid. So it Mm. produces what's called a mutual dysregulation, meaning the kid triggers the parents and the parents trigger the kid. And what happens after a long enough period of time is the kid's needs aren't met. And the only natural consequence of that is defiance. So we look at like, why is a kid defiant? It's because their needs aren't being met. And so like defiance is a normal response to needs not being met. So there's a lot that goes into like those first one to two years and then, you know, two to 10 years in terms of how you set a kid to be successful. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things we can do if we want to like stop this problem is like help single mothers. Like that is like the most important thing that we can do to like stop this nonsense so that we can raise healthier kids. Yeah. And when I was, I remember when my, my first son was born, you know, it was, it was told to me by, you know, older mothers that you should, you know, Oh, just let your baby cry to fall asleep and all those sorts of stuff. And I was like, hell no, this baby is falling asleep in my hands every single night. I don't even care. You know, like I was like, I know that this is not Mm. good for a baby. And all of my children, they literally slept in the bed with me until they decided they wanted to be out of the bed, you know, because 
I wanted that attachment and they, there are stuff, you know, called like attachment parenting and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I started researching that sort of stuff and I'm very grateful. I learned that stuff. Um, and that doesn't mean I think, you know, Oh, you do this attachment stuff and then a kid doesn't have any sort of problems. Obviously there's still things that go on. Um, I have one kid who's like super anxious. My other son is very, he's the ADD kid, you know, like, you know, so I, they still have things. My young, my, my youngest son is autistic. Um, and so, you know, there's still things that are going on like with their brains, but I feel like it's less than it would have been if I would have, it wouldn't have been paying attention. Oh my God. That. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And just a quick clarification because terms, uh, when you get into like neuroscience and stuff, uh, attachment parenting is different than attachment theory, yeah. um, mm. but both are good. And, and yeah. attachment theory is more about the, the way in which we form bonds with people and like what happens. So anxious, actually anxious is an attachment style. Avoidant mm. is an attachment style. Disorganized is an attachment style. And secure is an attachment style. And the goal is to create secure attachment. And what's awesome about what you shared, Kimra, is that, you know, um, if you look at like uh, the data, human beings only need a secure attachment 30 to 40% of the time to like be well-regulated. Because if you think about how, you know, our human being's history, we would be in our tribes we go out there and hunt, face all kinds of danger, and then come back and get secure again. So a secure attachment doesn't mean that they're not going to have those issues. It just means they can mm-hmm. recover better. And a secure attachment also doesn't mean that there won't be um, a lot, a, 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 the presence of danger won't be there. There will always be a presence of danger, right? Mm-hmm. But it's how you navigate that. And like you just said, it's so important because you know, you're helping them come back and not have such bad maladaptions to be able to actually be more high-functioning. And in terms of like, the job that you did compared to your parents, like, yeah. you, like a thousand percent better. I mean, holy shit, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, um, it's a miracle. I don't know how you did it. Yeah. I want to understand more about your history at some point. I want to get you on my <laughs> podcast and know about you, how you were I, you. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of stuff and a lot of stories. And I actually specifically remember my mother abandoning, abandoning me, leaving me in a room. I was maybe 18 months old. She just like threw me in a room and like locked the door and gave me like a bottle. And I was in there probably, you know, in my filthy diapers for, I would say, 10 to 12 hours. Wow. And I specifically wow. remember that. Um, and I have a few other experiences like that too, where I specifically remember just being like stuck and like not, and then nobody else there. Uh, yeah. and my mother was a single mother of five kids. Um, and so she didn't have any of the help she needed in order to even take care of it, to tend to us kids. So we were all just, we were all literally neglected. Like she didn't cook food for us. I was cooking food for the whole family by the time I was four or five years old. Oh um, you know, like wow. literally like, like just very severe neglect. Um, and, um, and so I remember, especially when I became pregnant with my first son, I was just like, I cannot be like that. (laughs) You know, like it was like, and it's almost like that pregnancy was like a healing crash course because Mm. like I had to make sure that I was going to be, um, able to, to have good, healthy relationships with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of stuff I can talk about. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Incredible. That's for a whole other podcast. Yeah, no, like I want to, I want to follow up and do an interview with you because I'm so curious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it, love yeah. it. Um, so, is there anything that you would love to to leave our audience on? This has been a really incredible interview. I have yeah, taken, we could talk to you for hours, literally. <laughs> yeah, I've taken pages of notes. Oh, awesome. um, and so, um, is there anything you would, you would want to say to particularly entrepreneurs, it's mostly going to be entrepreneurs listening to this when it comes to, you know, starting to, to work on this, on the emotional trauma so that they can have better results in their life. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm actually going to piggyback on something you just said, Kimra, which is so, um, important. So when you're four or five years old like that, and you're the one, you know, making the meals and you're the one kind of taking care of people. So that, the term for that is parentified child, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. the child is now the parent. And that's way too early to be a parent. I mean, four or five is way too early. You're not supposed to be doing that at that time. Yeah. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs I work with on one way, I'm a parentified child. My, I was taking care of my mom early on because she was in pain, right? And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with have some version of no one was there for them. The primal cue was I can't count on people, right? Which explains why perhaps you have a hard time hiring your first virtual assistant because you can't count on them, you know? Um, And so I think that the opportunity here is, I think it's all about learning how to delegate and learning how to count on somebody. So I think a really good um, sort of crash course would be 
to look at. First of all, if you're, you know, resonating, grab the Claim Your Power book, claimyourpowerbook.com. It's all there. There's a free coaching course that goes with it. Um, and it's, it's there. It's awesome. I should sell that course for a thousand dollars, but it's for free because I want to help people. Um, and uh, I actually sold that course and it made my other course irrelevant. So I have to create a new course that I can mm-hmm. sell. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but, awesome. but I think it's about like, let's find one person in your life who you can maybe do some self-disclosure with, who you can share what you're going through with so that you are able to not hold what you're going through in isolation, to be able to set yourself up. Hey, I have something I want to share with you. Do you it, can, it, is this a safe space? I think just having one person to open up to is a really big deal and to create that safe, uh, secure attachment to self-disclose what you're going through. Because when you hold the pain, when you hold your suffering, when you hold the, the frustration or whatever it might be in isolation, that is what perpetuates this issue. So I think trying to find one person in your life that you can form that relationship with, it might be a therapist, it might be a coach, it might be your best friend. And then the next thing is, is to look at whether you're trying to hire your first virtual assistant mm-hmm. or you're trying to scale from 5 million to 10 million right? Where are you having a hard time delegating? And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a left turn. That's going to make a lot of sense. I promise. Okay. A lot of entrepreneurs, especially women sometimes have a hard time with systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. And why am I talking about systems? Watch. So when you're a parentified child, what happens is, especially as a woman, you learn that systems are more masculine and that masculinity or something that's supposed to keep you safe can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And so realize that your systems in your business are not your father. They're not your ex and they're there to support you. So what is like one system that you have been resisting, setting up, delegating or outsourcing? And could mm-hmm. you capture it? Could you document it? One of my favorite things to do is use like cloud app or you know, screencast or whatever. I saw that on your Facebook page, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, when you're going through that uh, with screencast, but like document like one system, capture it as you're doing the work and then off load that so that you can do more of the work that is most beneficial to you. I know that kind of seems kind of strange, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs I work with. And remember 97% of our clients are female. They resist systems because mm-hmm. they don't want to be told what to do. They're in defiance and they don't believe someone can be there to support them. One of the most healing things you can do in your personal life is to self-disclose what you're going through and to have somebody listen to you and have them be there to support you. One of the most healing things you can do in your business is to set up a system that you have a hard time delegating and get somebody there to support you so that you can actually count on them. Being able to count on somebody else and giving your nervous system the data, the proof that other people are reliable, pick well, but give yourself the opportunity to actually be supported. I think one of the best biohacks in the world is learning how to build a safe team that you can count on because then you don't need to take modafinil because you don't have to do it all by yourself. You can have a team help. Um, I think that's a, a really important thing is just set your life up in your business and your personal life to learn how to count on one or two people uh, with some things that maybe you've been doing all by yourself. I think that was a really good first step. I love that. That's amazing. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So yeah, with the systems, totally agree um, because most of my most of my my peeps are women too and they're all scared of systems um so but now that makes sense why they are um but your systems are not your father (laughs) they're not your father um but yeah so thank you so much for being on uh with us being on the brave visibility podcast we appreciate you so much um so where can people go to learn more about you learn more about your functional life coaching where can they where can they go Sure. Well, first of all, it's been a pleasure to be here, guys. And I feel like I found some like, uh, some like, you know, soul tribe, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are doing amazing work. So uh, very, very Thank grateful. And um, yeah, I'm excited to get this out there too. So um, in terms of how to connect, we have Claim Your Power Live coming up. It's sort of our four day trauma hacking event sometime in late July in Atlanta, Georgia, claimyourpowerlive.com. Uh, the book is claimyourpowerbook.com. And that kind of walks you through a 40 day process. And then I would just say at Mastin Kip on all the things. <laughs> Love it. If, it's a, if there's a thing out there, then it's at Mass and Kip on that thing. <laughs> yeah. And luckily you have a unique name. So, you know. Yeah. yeah I, was totally. just say, I thought my name was unique until I tried to get my Instagram, you know, and then I found like there's so many Yasmin and else. So it's <laughs> crazy. By the way, yeah. I want to do a quick shout out at the very end. I should listen at the beginning, but shout out to Hattie Brazley because she's the one that introduced me to your work camera like three or four years mm-hmm. ago. And I've been like following you ever since. So this is like a full circle moment. And somewhere in the world, Hattie Brazley is going, ah. 
Yeah, yeah. Hattie is amazing. Um, she was my copywriter for a very long time. So yeah, so love Hattie. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. You, and I know this is very valuable to everybody listening. Oh. Um, again, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for lending us your ears. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review so we know we're not talking to ourselves. If you love this episode and would like to dive deeper into healing your mind, body, and soul, make sure to check out bravevisibility.com forward slash circle to join our membership. Every month, we'll provide you with new trainings and resources on maintaining a healthy mind and most of all, a safe space to share and grow. Go to bravevisibility.com forward slash circle where you can have full access for $20 a month. Remember to use hashtag bravevisibility when sharing this episode online. Follow us on social media at bravevisibility and catch us on the next episode. Till then, live bravely.